We're going to read uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 7. And then we will also read responsively as printed on page 10 of our worship guide. Hear God's word this morning. And God spoke all these things, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. My eyes, that I may know the wondrous things out of your law. You may be seated. Well, if you're visiting, as I mentioned, we are making our way through the book of Exodus. And our study brings us to the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments really hold out a true picture of what a flourishing life looks like. In examining God's law here, we see what it looks like to really love God and to love others around us. And as we've examined the first two commandments thus far, it's clear that who and what we worship leads us down a path of either ruin or a path of restoration. In the first commandment, we're called to worship the one true God and no other. And in the second commandment, as we saw last week, we're called to worship this one true God truly and rightly. And so this morning, as we look at the third commandment, I think that many of us are going to be tempted not to give this commandment as much thought as the other commandments. Right, on, the, on the surface, it just kind of seems like this commandment is not as serious as some of the other commandments. When you compare it to murder and theft and adultery and idolatry, it just seems rather small by comparison on the surface. But I think one of the reasons for this is that we neglect to see the magnitude and the significance of a name. And more specifically, the magnitude and the significance of the Lord's name. And so as we peer into this commandment and see it in greater breadth and depth, let's go before the Lord this morning and ask His blessing on our time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that as we do open Your Word, as we look into this perfect law and this third commandment, that You by Your Spirit would open our eyes to see the many ways that we break this commandment, the many ways that we don't even acknowledge or see how we break this commandment. But don't just leave us there. Show us the beauty of the one who fulfilled this commandment perfectly so that we might rest in his righteousness, that we might be spurred on to honor and revere your holy name out of gratitude for what you have done for us in Christ. Lord, if you would do this this morning, we would give you praise and give you glory. And so we ask that you would come now by your Spirit and work powerfully in our hearts to transform us and to bring this to reality in our lives. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at this command, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, we're going to do so by way of three points this morning. First, we must grasp the significance of God's name. And then we have to understand the significance of our response to God's name. And then lastly, we're going to see how the gospel elicits a significant response to the name of the Lord. Now, every one of us has a name that we've been given, a name that we go by. 
And our reputation, our character, our substance is really wrapped up into this name. Now, some of you, many of us, probably have had nicknames that we've been given along the way, maybe in high school or college. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, all my teammates on baseball called me Chatterhead. And another nickname I had was Wick, short for Chadwick. But some of us probably have nicknames, but some of those nicknames may have been unkind. Nicknames that were downright hurtful to us. And we couldn't just ignore it and pretend that it didn't bother us. Because even though it was just a word, that word was being used to describe us as a person. And it hurt. See, the way we treat a person's name reflects what we think about that person. And so when we demean or we mistreat or we belittle someone's name, we are necessarily demeaning and belittling their personhood, who they are. This is because our name is something that marks us, it identifies who we are. And over time, as people are around us and they get to know us better, our name embodies all kinds of experiences that we've had and all kinds of expectations that we have. And so we're not just Tom or Sally or Chad or Lucy. Our names embody who we really are. Our name is, our character is wrapped up in our name. And this is why maybe when you're away from your family, your spouse or your children, and somebody mentions their name, a whole flood of emotions and knowledge of that person comes to mind. It's because we have all sorts of memories and and experiences and history with that person. When that name is mentioned, it elicits this response in us. But as it relates to God's name, there's a difference between our names and God's names. See, someone gave us our name. And while, yeah, we may can change our name if we go to the courthouse, someone still gave us our name initially, our parents. But see, God names himself. God takes on his own names and reveals them in order to show us and reveal who he is. And so in Scripture, God reveals himself through his name. And so to fully grasp the significance and the power of God's name, we have to understand first the importance of names in the ancient culture. See, in the Old Testament... A name was more than simply a term that was given or a word that was associated with something or someone. All right, it revealed important information about that individual or about that thing. And so a name is important. In Scripture, we frequently see how God changes someone name, someone's name to reflect a new reality. So, for example, Abram, right, his name meant exalted father. But God changes his name to Abraham which means a father of a multitude. Or Jacob, whose name meant deceitful. After he wrestles with God, God changes his name to Israel, which means one who prevails. And so as we turn our attention to God's name, we start to see why it's so serious when we take God's name in vain. And as we've already said, names have power and significance that they carry with them. And so the more significance, the more power, the greater the name And so taking God's name in vain is serious because God's name is the sum total of who he is. Remember when Moses is going to, he has a conversation with God in Exodus 3 in the burning bush. And Moses is asking God, well, who do I say has sent me when I go back to him, to my people? And God says, tell them I am who I am has sent me. Yahweh, or capital L-O-R-D, we see in our Bibles. 
Right? This is a name that God gives to him that reveals who he is and who, what his attributes are, what he's like. He wants his people to know about himself. And so God tells Moses to say, I am. And he does so because he wants his people to know that he is the self-existent one. Right? He's the unchangeable and sovereign God. He's the self-sufficient and independent God who has the ability to save his people and has the ability to keep his promises that he makes to his people. God also uses other names in the scriptures. We see El or Elohim, which means God. And the stress is that God is high, he's exalted, he's mighty in power. Elsewhere we see him called Adonai, which means Lord. El lowercase o-r-d which means that he is the God who is sovereign. He's the owner of his people, the one whom everyone is subject to. But it's especially this name Yahweh or Jehovah that God reveals himself as a God of grace. See, for Moses and Israel, this name contained the assurance that God was going to keep his covenant that he made with Abraham long ago. And that he was going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. Then later in Exodus, chapter 33, Moses comes to God again and he says, let me see your glory, God. I want to see you in your fullness. And God says, you can't do that. No man can do that and live. But he tells him in verse 19, he says, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. See, God's name is the sum total of who he is. And as we read throughout the scriptures, we see that God's name is exalted above all other names. David says in Psalm 8, O Lord, Yahweh, our Lord, Adonai, your name is incredible. It's above all names. How majestic is your name in all the earth, David says. And then in Romans 10 that Paul read earlier, see that Paul says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Jesus teaching his disciples how they are to pray to God. He says, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching us how to revere his name, how to hallow it and make it holy and give it the proper weight that it is due. You're beginning to see and gain a greater understanding of the weightiness of this command. See, the way we use God's name can either uphold or it can strike against the very character and reputation of of who God is. And in light of the significance of God's name, which reveals his character and reveals his attributes, we must also see the significance of our response to his name. See, our response to God's name is significant because our treatment of God's name reveals what we think about God. And so if we treat God's name as if it doesn't matter, it means that we're saying that God doesn't matter. And so if we proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to bear that name correctly and rightly. So we need to understand what it means, though, to use God's name in vain so that we can recognize when we do abuse and misuse his name. See, in the, in the original Hebrew, the word vain means vapor or mist. It's this image of something that's, that's hardly there. If you think about when you're boiling a, a pot of water on the stove and some of that water spills over onto the hot eye, what does it do? It just immediately evaporates. Poof, it's gone. And it's this idea that something's empty. 
it lacks significance or weight. And so when we use the Lord's name in vain, it means that we treat his name as meaningless, as if it has no significance, has no value, has no weightiness to it. And see, the way that we use God's name reflects our intimacy or our lack of intimacy in our relationship with the God that we profess. As Luke says in Luke chapter 6, he says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what we think about God at a heart level is going to be revealed in how we speak about him. And so the more intimately that we know God, the more we associate his attributes and his character to his name. And so therefore we use his name carefully, fearfully, and affectionately. And we know this to be true in our relationships, right? I mean, the more that we intimately know someone and we love someone, we esteem their name, we defend their name. We have a deep affection tied to a loved one's name because we have all this history with them. We've lived life with them and had experiences with them. Parents, you would never belittle or demean your child's name because you have such love and compassion and affection for your child. Now, if we're honest, we show very little regard to God's name so often. There are many ways that you and I break this commandment and we use the Lord's name in vain. And the way that most of us are probably thinking as we heard this commandment read this morning is breaking it by blasphemy, using the Lord's name as a cuss word. But when we flippantly throw God's name around off of our lips, or maybe in a text, OMG, it says something about what we relate or how we relate and what we think about this God that we say that we serve. Or maybe when we use his name out of anger or shock and surprise, we just very cavalier throw that name out and think nothing of it. It's no different than any other word in our vocabulary. Another way that we take the Lord's name in vain is when we are hypocritical. Right? This is when we profess to be a follower of Christ, but yet our life reflects something different day to day. And so we may come to church on Sunday and we put on this mask, but yet we act differently at work or at school or in our homes. There's a double-mindedness. This is exactly what God was getting at when he confronted his people, Israel, in their rebellion in Isaiah 29. He says, This people, they draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There's a disconnect there. They're using his name to benefit themselves and make themselves look better. We also abuse the Lord's name and his reputation when we attach his his name to things that he does not condone. Take racism, for example. To say that God endorses elevating one person over another mocks the very name of God. God created all mankind in his image, giving them equal dignity and value. And so to attach his name to anything that degrades one of his image bearers, it's offensive to God. It damages his name and his reputation. And honestly, a lot of non-believers don't want anything to do with this God that many Christians profess because they attach his name to things that they don't agree with and know that God would not condone. 
Still another way that we can misuse God's name is when we use it to further our own cause or to allow us to engage and satisfy our own desires. In other words, we, instead of seeking Him and His kingdom first, we simply stamp God's name on our own plans and our own pleasures to validate them as if they're His divine will or His blessing for us. See, we have to be careful when we use language like, God told me to do this, or God told me to do that. Now, suppose that as a leadership here at Zion, we came and said, you know, we think that God is leading us to plant a church south of Columbia here. We wouldn't come to you and say, you know, we as the leadership here, as the elders, uh, this is what God wants us to do, and you can either be on board and support this work, or you're disobeying God. No, we wouldn't say that. We would say after a lot of prayer and after a lot of seeking the Lord and gathering information, seeking wisdom from other people who have planted, we think that we believe that this is the path that God's leading us down. And we can honor God in this way. But we have to be very careful when we just stamp His name on things as if He has spoken when maybe He's not spoken. And we're just wanting to validate our own desires. Colossians 1.17 says, And God all things hold together. So we know that God's concerned. He's involved in all things. But to just tag His name on various situations and various things as His divinely revealed will can be very dangerous. We can also dishonor God's name and use it in vain when we use phrases like, God is good and it's a God thing. But we only use those phrases when something good happens to us. But yet we never utter those phrases when times of trial and struggles hit. Or we use God's name and peddle it for profit. We use His name to gain greater credibility so we might charge more in our business endeavors. In all these different ways that we can misuse and abuse God's name, we're revealing what we think about the Lord Jesus. And so we have to see and be careful and confess that the root of our belittling and the root of our demeaning His name, it's a heart issue. All right, the deeper issue is what do I believe about God and is, is He really worthy of my loyalty and worthy of my trust and affections? Because if we don't see how misusing his name and taking it in vain is a heart issue, then we're going to be tempted to leave here today and, and say, you know what, I really do need to clean up my, my, my language and how I use his name and not use it when I stub my toe or get angry. We'll miss the point. See, in light of God's character and the attributes that his name communicates, we have to carefully examine our motives for when and how we use his name. Does God's character line up with this decision I'm making, with this opinion that I have, with this agenda that I'm pushing in behind? Does what I'm promoting and attaching God's name to, is it furthering His kingdom? Or is it furthering my own? Am I using God's name in the way that He's revealed it in His word and in keeping in line with that? See, how we handle his name exposes what we believe about God. Lastly, we need to see how the gospel elicits a response of ultimate significance in how we relate to his name. 
If you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 in your Bibles, let's spend a moment there. Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount, and he says in verse 21 of Matthew 7, he says, Now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, excuse me, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know, watching uh, the Olympics over the past week or so, it's reminded me of the 2016 Olympics where American swimmer Ryan Lochte who was very decorated, not quite as much as Michael Phelps, but in his own right, a great swimmer. Uh, during the Summer Olympics, uh, he was sponsored by so many people from his career that he, in swimming, he's sponsored by Ralph Lauren and Speedo and several other brands, and so he's their spokesperson. Well, during this Olympics in 2016, one night he and his buddies are out partying. And the next morning, they go to the authorities and allege this story that they were held up at gunpoint and someone robbed them. Well, the Rio authorities look into this, spend resources and time and energy into this, and they find out that the whole story's false. It's a fabrication. It's not true. They were trying to cover up because they had vandalized a bathroom at a gas station. See, if Ryan Lochte really knew and valued his sponsors, he would have acted differently. Instead of out of his selfish desire and pleasures, he would have respected and upheld the name that he was representing. But they dropped him. All of his sponsor did, immediately. He basically said, depart from me, as if we never knew you. So what Jesus is revealing here in Matthew 7 is that there are people who have done the right things. There are people who would have even had a religious experience, maybe at a youth camp one summer. Are people who even teach Jesus' name and his word. And they saw fruit from their ministry. Maybe even some people came to faith. But he says, I never knew you. Why? Because there was no relationship of mutual honor and respect for one another. They were using his name for their own glory and their own purposes. So you wouldn't stay in a relationship with someone who belittled you, who didn't give you any time of day. Right? There's not, that's not a relationship in the first place. See, one of the ways that we show our love for God is how we uphold and honor His name. See, the opposite of love is not always hate, but can be indifference. Our actions can show that we just don't care about God. We just don't care about His name. It's not a big deal. I don't really mean anything by it when I say that or when I use it in this way. But it's revealing an indifference towards the God who created us. Is that where you are this morning? See, you and I are constantly promoting a name. And the real question is, whose name are we promoting? Are we promoting my own name? Or am I promoting the name of King Jesus? Remember Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago? A group of people saw Jesus and they called him the king. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They waved palm branches 
before him as he entered into the city. You remember what happened five short days later. The same group was yelling, crucify him. They were using his name in vain. None of us should have to look very hard and very far to see how we break this commandment. Every one of us is guilty of breaking this commandment and misusing God's name in the ways that I've mentioned. There's so many other ways that we break this commandment. We break this commandment when we profess Jesus' name, yet we withhold forgiveness and we harbor resentment and anger towards those we think have hurt us. We break this commandment when we withhold patience and grace towards those whom we have a hard time loving. We break this commandment when we look down other people like the person in the checkout line next to us at Kroger because of what they're wearing or maybe even what they're buying. And we think that we're better than they are. We break this commandment when we name Jesus as our king, yet we don't reflect that in the way that we submit our money and our time and our resources to this king. See, there's one who fulfilled this commandment perfectly. Jesus never once dishonored his father and his name. Jesus is the one who extended forgiveness to us when we didn't deserve it. Jesus is the one who humbled himself in coming to sinners so that we could be elevated as saints. Jesus is the one who showed great patience and untold amounts of grace to us, though we're so undeserving of it. And Jesus is the one who gave up the riches of heaven to come down here to redeem sinners at great cost to himself. This is the gospel that elicits a heart-level response to uphold and revere the name of God. So if you placed your name by faith in Christ, you're baptized into Him. Right? His name is now your name. You've been given a new name. You bear the family name because you are in the family. And as we heard earlier, sung from Isaiah 43, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. And you're now mine, he says. Because of Christ, God's not ashamed of you and me anymore. No matter how much we abuse his name. He loves and adores the names of his beloved children. If he didn't, he wouldn't have stood before a Jewish court 2,000 years ago, standing trial for this very command that they said he broke in blasphemy. It is the only one who has never broken this command and who has upheld it perfectly. But as he hung on the cross, he was enduring the punishment that was due to those who mock and break his, this commandment. For it says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The Father did not hold back. He poured out the fullness of his wrath on his own Son for our mocking for our dragging his name through the mud. What could Jesus have been motivated in that moment to die a criminal's death that he did not deserve? Isaiah 49 tells us, Behold, 
I have engraved your name on the palms of my hands. It was your name. It was my name that he engraved on the palms of his hand and who was of holding his father's name in that moment. It's a fact that Jesus has our names engraven on his hands that gives us tremendous security and assurance of his love for us. And as we increasingly see the depth of our sin and we turn and see how often we break this commandment, but we see what Christ has done for us, then increasingly we see the magnitude and the significance of this name. And then we come to experience the freedom to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal so that we can recognize when we are tempted to break this commandment and misuse his name. And furthermore, we ask him to bring greater, greater conviction in our lives when we do break this commandment so that we might repent of it and experience forgiveness once more. And as the Spirit is faithful to do this in our lives, then God's name becomes beautiful. Beautiful on our lips and more beautiful to us. See, just as a child wants to please his father because he knows how much his father delights in him. He knows how much his father loves him. So we honor his name because we know his unending love for us as his child. Well, as we've considered, maybe for many of us, a broader scope of what this command really means, some of us, I imagine, are thinking, okay, that sounds like great news and that Jesus would associate himself to some people, but I'm just not convinced he would do that for me. Because you see, my name's been associated with a lot of things that I'm not too proud of. My name's been associated with things like abusing and wounding other people. Associated with gossip, with hypocrisy, with abuse, or lust, homosexuality, manipulation, extortion, dishonesty. You fill in the blank for whatever sin you're thinking of that you think is too much for God to handle. See, no matter what your story is, if you come and bow your knee before this God, you're precisely the person that he came to give you his name. See, he unites himself to those whom others would never associate with and who are ashamed to associate with. Not Jesus. That's who he came to associate with and give his name to. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. And that's why he, that's why Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. The way that we respond to God's name is transformed by this radical reality. He would come for sinners, those who despised his name, and then make us sons and daughters. See, God's name reveals that he's a God full of compassion, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. As we read earlier from Romans 10, his name is the only name whereby anyone can be saved. And if your faith is not in the Lord Jesus this morning, Bow your knee to this king who will freely give you his name and cover you with his righteousness and call you his own. See, the more deeply that we come to know the love of God for us in Christ, the more deeply the spirit 
allows us to believe this gospel and therefore uphold this name that we've been given. And in turn, the Spirit transforms us in greater depth to see when we misuse it and yet repent and turn of our ways. And this fruit that the Spirit begins to work out in us, what happens then is it begins to permeate every aspect of our lives. Because as Paul says in Colossians 3, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And so I, I'm motivated to pursue excellence in my schoolwork, students. I'm motivated to pursue excellence in my job responsibilities, in my relationships, in my home life, and in my community where I serve. Because I am representing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to honor Him out of gratitude for what He has done for me. And so because He's freed me, not only from my sin, but from my indifference to His name, now I desire to honor Him, the one who gave His life for me. And then as our affections for honoring the Lord's names grow, inevitably it starts to attract others around us. This is, we're participating in what Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 2, that through us, God spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. Through the name of the Lord is the only name under heaven that is worthy of our submission. The only name under heaven that is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise and worthy of our witness to everyone we come in contact with. And on that day, when Jesus does return, John tells us at the end of Revelation in chapter 22, he says, those who are not ashamed of my name and out of gratitude who have upheld my name as holy and set it apart, he says, they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. Let us ask and plead with the Holy Spirit to help us to live in such a manner that befits this name that we proclaim and that we bear. That we would honor His name in everything that we do to bring Him the glory that is worth His name because He is worth all of our praise and adoration and everything that we give. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we're confronted with the reality that we don't measure up, not even close to your perfect law. It can leave us discouraged and feeling hopeless. But thanks be to God that you lovingly and willingly sent forth your Son to uphold the law that we break so that we might experience the love of the Father, the one who dotes and delights upon his son and daughter. Lord, grant us a greater vision, a greater vision to uphold this name, this beautiful name that has saved and redeemed us. Holy Spirit, bring us conviction when we do use your name in vain, that we might behold it to the glory and weight that is due. And as we wait for that day, well, may we live out a life that is honoring to you as we represent you little Christs to others in our community and our world around us so that we could display the fragrant aroma of Christ so that others might experience and taste 
for the first time, no salvation in Christ. Lord, we ask that you would do this by your grace to us, your beloved children. Amen.